Welcome back to Podcast 22. Uh, Today's episode is the second part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is going to make a highly offensive yet authoritative statement that he is the fulfillment and completion of the law. That's a, that's a giant thing to say. So today we're going to dive into Jesus's words and try to understand how Jesus's followers, you and I as Christians, are no longer under the bondage of the law hmm. and what it means that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law of Moses. Mm-hmm. I find that most Christian sects hold to the law in one form or another. Yeah. So you need to examine yourself with the water of God's word and see if you are held hostage by the law, Mm. which Jesus freed you from. So this is podcast 22 in the Jesus Said That series, looking at every word Jesus spoke in the New Testament. Today's episode is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Fulfills the Law, Mm. and is taken from Matthew 5, 17 through 20. I'm Pastor Kenny Birch Jr., Associate Pastor at Comer Manor Bible Church. And I am joined by my father, Dr. Ken Burge, Sr., a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, author of the Fire Series, and senior pastor at Comer Manor Bible Church. Uh, before we just jump right into the passage, wouldn't you agree that most people, most uh, religious sects in the sense that most religions that are based off of Christianity, but kind of springboard to another genre, uh, they generally hold to the law in some form or another? I'm going to agree with you more. Uh, the verse, and you, it's in your notes in Romans 10, for the Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It's interesting that word end is the first one in the Greek sentence. And there's it's definitive, Paul saying, but so many people want to take you back to the law. And we deal with this on a regular basis with people who come to the church and they've had different teachings and you just show them this and it's like, it's clear, but I agree with you. And referring to the law, most people understand this, but this is the law of Moses. Yeah. The law that was given. Yeah. And uh, these are the rules like rest on the Sabbath, mm-hmm. the moral law, the ceremonial laws. Yeah. And I'm just amazed how many have seeped into Christianity, even exactly. in the New Testament. Yeah. So many people are holding to the law. So I really want all of our listeners to pay close attention and evaluate yourself. And see, am I still holding to the law? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, we had a big intro last time. This time we don't. So let's let's sure. jump right in. And this is Matthew five seventeen. Jesus is speaking, and he says, "Don't think that I came to abolish the law mm-hmm. or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill." So we have to make it clear that Jesus did not come to remove the Old Testament or destroy its teachings and prophecies. Um, I think some, especially people nowadays, kind of think that he just kind of undid everything. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's practicing Jews. They often accuse Jesus of that. He, he, that he kind of removed the old way of life in the sense that he didn't fulfill it, but he just kind of abolished it, says, I'm wiping you out. But he came to complete the Old Testament. He came to fulfill it and finish it. And this is speaking of the law that was given to Moses and Israel in Exodus 20, mm-hmm. along with when we read Leviticus and all those, right. all those laws. All those laws. Um, we tend, I know, um, as a Christian, think of the law as some cold, bad thing. Mm-hmm. We tend to think of it as something that is just there because we're so wicked, which to an aspect is correct. Mm-hmm. But the law was very good and it served a wonderful purpose. 
uh, it wasn't a cold, harsh document. It revealed the heart of God to his people, Israel. Its main goal was to reveal his holiness and mankind's sinfulness. So think of the law as a very good thing. It said, Mm -hmm. hey, God is this good, and you can't keep the law because you are sinful. Yeah, Paul writes, uh, therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Mm. Uh, Romans 7, 12, it reflects the nature of God. So how can it not be good? So it's good. It just shows us how bad we are. <laughs> right. So a really crash course on the uh, understanding the law. Mm. Um, we can ba- basically break it down into two sections. Mm-hmm. Um, which we're going to see in a moment, but the law contains 613 commandments. Some debate on that, but that's mm-hmm. what most people agree on. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these commandments were from God himself. So later kings would come along and create their own laws, mm-hmm. but we're referring to Moses's holy 613 laws that he got from God himself. Now, I was thinking when I teach this, people are like, 613 laws, that's so much. Mm-hmm. But when you just look at and think this is the Jewish legal system, that's not a lot of laws. 613 laws is not a lot of laws. Imagine looking at the USA's tax code. Yeah, I guarantee you we have more than 613 (laughs) laws in there. So you have to think these 613 laws were basically all the laws that God gave to his people to follow. So like I said, they might have implemented more later, but those were the holy laws from God. So there's basically two sections, moral law and ceremonial law. Mm-hmm. And this is so important to understand because mm. God wants us to focus on the moral law, uh, his people, Israel, where they were focusing more on the ceremony, mm-hmm. the outward acts, mm-hmm. and not looking at the morality of it. And I think that's why Jesus partly preaches this sermon as he identifies his belief, uh, those who follow him. Is that, hey, you guys need to follow the moral law because the ceremonial law is going to be done away with. Mm -hmm. So the moral law was the heart of the law. These law reveals man's sinfulness and the need to lead a holy life. Uh, These laws, for those who don't know, are you should not kill, you should not steal, you should not serve any other gods, but the one true God and so forth. Mm -hmm. So moral law. I would say those laws are kind of timeless. That's right. When you say the moral laws are timeless. Yeah, and interesting, out of the uh, Ten Commandments, nine are restated in the New Testament. The one that's not given is about the Sabbath a day. Which is ceremonial. Uh, which is ceremonial. Yep, exactly. So we have moral law, then we have ceremonial law. So that reflected and illustrated the moral law. Mm-hmm. This included sacrifices, offerings, and festivals. All of these ceremonies pointed to the moral law. Exactly. You didn't go kill a sheep just for the sake of killing a sheep. Mm-hmm. You did it to show atonement, to mm-hmm. show God's forgiveness. So we see in Matthew 22, 35 through 40, that Jesus is going to sum up the entire law in four verses. Amazing. Um, so one of them, an expert in the law. You know, when I think, when I hear lawyer, I kind of get the American yes. a v- version of a lawyer, yeah. you know, where an expert in the law, a lawyer back then, they knew scripture. Mm-hmm. So they knew the 613 laws plus all the other ones they added. So these were very smart men and understood the Bible. They were Bibles. They studied the Bible. Right. So they said to Jesus, they said, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is the key part. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So I think it's interesting that God could have just given those on Mount Sinai, mm-hmm. but he knew the sinfulness of man exactly, <laughs> and had to give direct commands on murder, exactly. adultery, and yeah. so forth. Um, before we see um, what the point of the law is, any, any comments or anything you want to add? The giver of law sums up the law mm. <laughs> with two, two great statements. And uh, it's one thing to say we love God. Uh, it's another thing to demonstrate it. And I think mm. that's why the second is on the same level as the first. You love your neighbor as uh, yourself. And he has shown you, old man, what is good and what the mm. Lord requires of you. Uh, but to do justly yeah. and to love mercy. Again, he, he's dealing with the heart and the nature of God. Yeah. So the question is then, what's the point of the law? Right. Especially now in our context as Christians. Mm-hmm. Why did God also give Moses the law? Because remember, this is all going back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's saying he fulfills it. Mm-hmm. He completes it. So Paul tells us in the letter to the Galatians, which you wrote a book on, you also uh, preached a whole sermon series exactly. uh, through the entire book of Galatians. So um, maybe I can link that to the uh, YouTube video for mm-hmm. those who watch there and also our Apple podcast so mm-hmm. people can find out more information. But uh, here are four questions about the law, which Paul will answer from Galatians chapter three. Mm-hmm. And these are very important for the church today. Absolutely. Why did we have the law? Mm-hmm. Could the law itself save people? How did the law help us? Mm-hmm. And is the church still under the law? So this is from the ERV, just to make it as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're going into a deep Bible study, use a better version. But yeah. just for something we're touching on, this helps us see what Paul is saying in simple terms. Exactly. So uh, don't don't kill me for using this one just as we <laughs> look at this. If I was preaching it, you know, I, I'd use a different version. But just for time's sake, it really communicates the text well. So um, in Galatians 3.19, Paul answers, why did we have the law? And this is what he says. So what was the law for? The law was given to show the wrong things people do. The law would continue until the special descendant of Abraham came. This is the descendant mentioned in the promise, which Mm -hmm. came directly from God. But the law was given through angels, and the angels used Moses as a mediator to give the law to the people. So a question is, why do we have the law? The law points out our sin and need for salvation. So it shows that we need a holy God. We, we can't do it in our own strength. Um, question two. Could, uh, can I jump oh, in yeah, there? Yeah, go ahead. yeah no, that, this is so great. This is so great. Uh, in uh, Galatians 3, uh, there's a contrast between the former uh, Abrahamic covenant, and it's key that it does come first, and then the Mosaic covenant. Um, the law of Moses was conditional. If you do, it says mm-hmm. there in Exodus uh, 19 and 20, but the Abrahamic was unconditional. God goes, I'm going to fulfill this. But even a concept of a mediator I found intriguing, and and I I have to confess, I didn't catch this until I had written the book, that the law was given through angels. So there are mediators. But when God dealt directly with Abraham, and you got to think about Abraham, uh, Galatians 3.8 points to his greatest descendant, Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. 
And then it takes us even into the future with the millennial uh, kingdom. Uh, so the giving of the Abrahamic covenant is greater than that of the Mosaic law, but the Mosaic law did show people its sinfulness and therefore the need of the savior uh, that would come. Yeah. So, and that's a very good point to understand. Yeah. So question two, could mm -hmm. the law itself save people? But when, and this is verse 20, but when God gave the promise, there was no mediator because a mediator is not needed when there is only one side and God is one. Mm. Does this mean that the law works against God's promises? Of course not. The law was never God's way of giving new life to people. If it were, then we could be made right with God by following the law. So question, could the law itself save people? No, the law does not save us from our sin. And I think that's a sad thing. You look at a lot of so-called Christian religions, especially the cults, mm -hmm. and it's always you have to do this, this, and this to be saved, where basically they've created their own law, mm -hmm. where it's faith alone. Um, it's very simple. Right. Question three from Paul, how did the law help us? And verse 22, but this is not possible. The scripture put the whole world in prison under the control of sin, so that the only way for people to get what God promised would be through faith in Jesus Christ. It was given to those who believe in him. Mm. Before this faith came, the law held us as prisoners. We had no freedom until God showed us the way of faith that was coming. I mean, the law was the guardian in charge of us until Christ came. After he came, we could be made right with God through faith. So how did the law help us? It guarded and instructed us till Jesus came. I remember your sermon because um, I edit all your sermons. So sure. I always joke that if anything happened to you, I could just preach your sermons because <laughs> when you're editing a sermon, you spend a lot um, of time there. It's That's about right. four or five hours. Yeah. So you really get to know the text just from editing, mm -hmm. which is a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. And I always remember that with the guardian when you when you taught that whole concept from that passage. Yeah, it goes back to the Roman and Greek cultures and that you would have the tutor that the King James uh, mm -hmm. uses, not the best translation, because it's not a teacher. It was a slave, a well-educated slave that would lead uh, the male heir, uh, the one not of age yet, uh, to school, would do the discipline. But the point was that a slave, the paedagogos uh, is your term there, <laughs> That individual was to lead um, that person into maturity uh, in the same way. That's exactly what the law is. It's just to take us right to Jesus. So the concept is you had the child, you had um, the guardian, yeah. or whatever term you deem best. And mm -hmm. that person basically would take that person to maturity. Exactly. And once a person got to maturity, I remember they got that toga or whatever. Yep. And then from that point, um, they didn't need that guardian anymore. Exactly. And that's the picture of the law. Exactly. It, it takes us, shows us who we are, mm -hmm. shows us we're sinful, we need a savior. Jesus comes, and then we don't need it anymore. Exactly. And that goes into question four. Is the church still under the law? Now, think of people who won't eat certain things. Yeah. Think of people who refrain from things because it's in the Old Testament. It's under the law. Now, the way of faith has come. We no longer need the law to be our guardian. That is verse 25. You were all baptized into Christ, and so you were all clothed with Christ. 
This shows that you are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You actually violate the law when you return to the law because the law was to bring us to Christ. So to go back to the law is to violate the very intent of the law. And um, it's we've talked about it, how people pick and choose. Yeah, Isn't it funny how people will keep the Sabbath, but they won't go sacrifice? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, it's like if you want to practice the law, practice all of it. All you know, of it. Don't blend your clothing. Yeah. You know, uh, go to your go to Jerusalem three times a year. And as pastors, we might like they can give a twenty three and a half percent tithe. Tithe. Uh, because there were two of them done yeah. annually, one every uh, second or third year uh, for the poor and the Levites. So it's it's just uh, you're exactly right. It's such a, a picking and choosing because there's a lot of things in the law. Uh, seriously, when I read, I go, thank God we don't have yeah. to do that yeah. all the time. Very difficult, yeah, and uh, but it's all pointing towards Jesus. That's right. So, um, as a side note, we find in Romans four and Galatians three, among many other texts, that all Old Testament saints have been saved by faith by trusting what God had revealed to them. Um, I know it's not popular. Well, I don't know if I would say it's not popular, but dispensationalism mm-hmm. is a way to understand biblically um, different stewardships given to men. And uh, it's funny, I've heard that if you just read your Bible, you're a dispensationalist. If you go to seminary and taught other things, then you be, be believe in the covenants. <laughs> then, then you read your system into exactly. it instead of letting it just be what it is. What it is from the text. That's exactly. So um, dispensationalism is a very simple concept. It, it has to do with progressive, dis, uh, progressive revelation. Yeah. The idea that, you know, God revealed certain things to certain people. And it was just, if they had faith in him, they obeyed. Um, you know, Noah had no idea about Jesus Christ. He was told, build a boat. And if he had faith in God's word, he built the boat. (laughs) People had to give his faith in in what was given to them. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Yeah. But Abraham, same concept. You have faith, then your works show that you did have that genuine faith. Exactly. And you followed. Um, But they didn't know about Jesus. They didn't understand. Uh, They simply had faith in God's word. And that's how they were saved. Um, it's been the same for everyone since the dawn of creation. I remember being taught at times that, yeah, those Old Testament saints could somehow look down the quarters of time and see Jesus. And I'm going, I don't see that in the scripture. The death of Jesus Christ is what saved all people who have put faith in God. There's just no doubt about this. So in the Old Testament, when Abraham and the like were obedient to what was revealed to them, uh, it demonstrated their faith in God, but it would ultimately be the death of Christ that would mm. go back and his blood would get them and 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 take away their sins. So you, you, it's faith. It really yeah. is faith in what has been revealed to them during the revelation that was imparted, yeah. and they demonstrated their faith by acting upon it. Yeah. And I would make it also clear that the law, not every single law or every single prophecy pointed to Jesus, Yes, but it's the law and prophets in whole. There's yeah. some message, if you kind of put it together, yeah. point to Jesus. Because you have too many people looking for, Jesus is seen here, Jesus is seen here, and it's just not in the text. And actually, I think it's an insult to the Trinity mm. that we can't see a passage that deals just with God, yeah. or we can't see a passage that just deals with the Holy Spirit yeah. being equally God. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes it sounds so noble. Yeah. Everything points to Jesus. 
Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I just, I just it's don't. Creative, it's, but it's, it's creative. It's, it's creative, just not accurate. But it's not true. Yeah. It's, I mean, so many passages deal with just justice. Yes. Or, um, you know, I've heard, because I, I had Calvinist professors and stuff, you know, when you have to slaughter the ox, you know, because he wounded someone. Well, that's a picture of Jesus. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, great job. <laughs> it's like, right. yeah. So, but we are not under the law. Mm. So now that we have a basic understanding of the law, we need to look at our passage. And it's important to understand that Jesus had come to fulfill the law. And at this time, though, Israel was still under the law. That's so right. you have to understand the context. Yeah. yeah. However, Jesus is preaching to his followers mm-hmm. and he's teaching them about their identity. And their identity is found in him. Mm-hmm. All right. So Jesus did not come to remove the Old Testament or to destroy its teachings. No, he came to fulfill or complete it. And that that's very offensive to people who like, reject Jesus. That's that's blasphemy. And that's one of the reasons why he would get killed <laughs> mm-hmm. from a man's perspective. By putting our faith in Jesus's words, we, the church, are no longer under the law. Romans 10.4 for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. However, the whole point of the law was not to observe rules. It was made so we would love God and our neighbor as ourselves. We see that in Romans 13, 8 through 9. Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, mm-hmm. for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The, command, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus fulfilled the law. Mm-hmm. And how did he do it? He loved God with everything. Mm-hmm. He lived that perfect life. And then he died. He loved his neighbor as himself, literally, yeah. because he died for every neighbor that has ever been on planet Earth. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so he is the literal fulfillment of the law. He then adds how everything mentioned in scripture, this is Jesus, mm-hmm. will come to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is God's word cannot lie. And this is a very important concept. Because right. people always, you see it probably more than me, but people take scripture and then, well, I know it says this, but I feel. Mm-hmm. So I don't care what you feel. Yeah. He says in verse 18, Jesus, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Jesus is clearly teaching the complete authority of God's word as seen in the Old Testament. Yeah. New Testament has not been written yet. Uh, when the world is destroyed, all details of scripture would be proven true. Everything from creation, you know, to revelation, <laughs> to the eternal state. This is such a detailed uh-huh. analysis. I mean, when he talks about the smallest letter, it was the Yod. It would be like a comma okay. uh, compared to our alphabet. And then when it goes on to say, or or one stroke, it was just a part of the letter. It would make the difference between, and if you will, the Hebrew D to an R. It was just a little a little line. Mm. It was that detailed. And then he says, by no means pass away. Uh, just get technical for one second here. This is the ume construction with the aorist subjunctive. In other words, when it says that it's impossible for this to happen, there's not even a possibility. Mm. <laughs> it's not even a possibility. Uh, just re- reading it quickly from the uh, New King James, 
For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is filled. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> that, it's, it's so strongly stated. We have to pound a pulpit yeah. uh, to make the point. Yeah. So that's why I'm always impressed by people like Answers and Genesis. Yeah. Because I don't think people know how to debate them because they just say God's word's true. Yeah. And I don't think people know how to. Yeah. And honestly, to me, sometimes that sounds weird mm-hmm. because you're so used to big organizations, you know, not putting God's word first. Right. Um, so, yeah, we, we're going through the patterns of evidence looking at the Exodus mm-hmm. with their youth group. Great documentary. Mm. And uh, we've seen that in the Red Sea crossing. And um, I just love how the main guy, uh, his his whole thesis, his whole idea is find where the evidence is, where's the pattern, yeah. but his authority is scripture. And when he follows what the scripture says, it actually makes sense because right. it's true. So uh, Jesus talked later on this topic mm. in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 16. Mm-hmm. He said, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God has been proclaimed. And everyone is urgently invited to enter it. Um, The law and the prophets guided the nation of Israel to John's ministry, which John pointed people to Jesus and his kingdom. So they're all, everything's just pointing to Jesus in that aspect, saying Mm -hmm. he's the fulfillment, you know, put your faith in him, come to maturity. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter in the law to drop out. Mm. So it's easier for all of creation to be destroyed than for a single detail to be removed from the law. So Jesus is going to fulfill everything mentioned in scripture, Mm -hmm. that God's word cannot lie. Then we come back to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 18 from Mm -hmm. chapter 5. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of the letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Mm. Therefore... No, always notice the therefore. Whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So they're still under the law. Mm-hmm. So he's saying at this time, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same, basically rebels, uh, they will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And this is an attack on the Pharisees and scribes. Absolutely. Um, that's who he's going at here. Um, the scribes and Pharisees had problems. Mm. Now, when I read about them, I'm not hating, but they remind me so much of Catholics. Mm-hmm. And if you're Catholic listening, don't be offended. Uh, just listen. Uh, they believed that non-biblical oral tradition was on the same level as scripture. Right. So you had God's 613 commands or so, mm-hmm. but then they said, yeah, Moses told our forefathers other things that weren't written down, but we'll pass it on to you. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, the Pope sits in the chair, and if he speaks, he's the same as Jesus. Exactly. It's blasphemy. Mm-hmm. So just like the Catholics, the scribes and Pharisees, they said, well, God's word says this, which is true, mm-hmm. but our tradition says this, and it's all the same level. And then often their rules contradict God's rules. Exactly. So the Pharisees, focused on their outer appearance by embracing public displays of spirituality Mm. while ignoring their inner self. Don't just say a lot of priests. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Um, 
You know, you see they go and they do their holy little things. They talk in their soft voices and they're doing terrible things with children. Um, and I'm not saying the Pharisees were doing that, but they cared so much about their outer works that inside they were like tombs, you know, of dead men. Um, they love ceremonial laws and its public displays of righteousness while ignoring the inner righteousness of God's moral law. You know, I was thinking about this. I was, I was listening to a Catholic the other day, and I'm always amazed how people who have left the faith, um, I know that's offensive to them, but it's just how it is. Um, they always have to create either other books or other authorities outside of scripture. Exactly. Um, I think of the Mormons. Uh, you know, think of any cult or religion outside of Christianity. What do they do? They say, the Bible says this, I know. But then we have this tradition or this tradition exactly. that, that improves what we know. And exactly. it generally contradicts the very thing scripture says. So it's just something you have to notice, especially if you're a listener and you're in one of those faiths, compare what your faith says to scripture. And if it goes against scripture, get out. (laughs) So Jesus, uh, and you would say you were a former Catholic, at least as a boy. Yeah. So, uh, and what made you change from that? Yeah, it was the authority of the word of God. You know, I knew there was hollow in the practice. Uh, I could tell it was just ceremony. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the same thing. You, you go to go to mass. It's like, what'd you learn new? Well, nothing new. <laughs> I mean, everything was just the same week in, week out. I picked up the, the scripture and found it totally contradicted what the Roman Catholic Church had been teaching me from the first 15 years of my life. Oh. And from that very Bible, I, I learned that salvation is by grace through oh. faith. And that's when I came to the faith and saw how ridiculous uh, the whole movement was because oh. it's picked up on just more the tradition. Uh, and, and, you know, I was brought up, my dad would often talk about the tradition yeah. and well, tradition is handed down. It's one thing if it's the scripture handed down yeah. from generation. It's another thing when some man-made rule or regulations handed down. And then as we're going to see here for Mark seven, yeah. they take their tradition and then they have to twist scripture yes. to verify their non-biblical tradition, yeah. which just totally messes up the integrity of scripture. Exactly. So, and look at this from Mark 7. Jesus is very angry. Mm-hmm. And he said, you have a fine way of invalidating God's command in order to set up your tradition. Mm-hmm. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what other benefit you might have received from me is Corbin, that is an offering devoted to mm-hmm. God, You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many other similar things. That's pathetic, isn't it? I mean, that's really disgusting. Yeah. I've dedicated the monies here, so therefore I can't take care of mom and dad. So, you know, it's interesting. The honor uh, command is not just for children. You know, in Ephesians Mm -hmm. 6, children obey your parents, the Lord is right on your mother and your father. But then even later in life, when there might be a need for care and to make, because, you know, they didn't have any healthcare system per se back then. Uh, so if someone didn't take care of the elderly, the sick elderly in particular, there was nothing. So honoring uh, was just something that was always to continue to value your parents and parents are always to be valued. And they just nullified it through a tradition, wow. basically to protect their own income. Wow. So they say, you know, mom and dad, the Bible says, take care of you. Yeah. But- 
I'm yeah. giving this money to the temple. Yeah. So therefore, I'm not going to give you that money. Exactly. And all pride people praise them as their mom and dad are suffering. Exactly. So uh, we talked about before the command, you know, that in later times, people are going to say you cannot marry. Yeah. Um, and we see certain uh, religions say you cannot marry it if you're a priest. You cannot do that. And it's That's like, right. it's going to against the very thing Bible says. Exactly. But, and uh, Jesus says in Matthew 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisee hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of the dead and every kind mm -hmm. of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's pretty uh, chopped up. <laughs> chopped up, yeah. So Jesus goes on in our passage. Verse 19, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So followers of Jesus should both teach and apply God's word. That is a sign of greatness. Exactly. Um, for I tell you, and as you said, you think this is the main statement in the Sermon in the Mount or yeah. one of them, mm -hmm. for I tell you. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And to the people, that would be impossible. Exactly. So I have a quote here from S.K. Weber. Mm -hmm. um, he says, this is an enormous statement. It would have shocked Jesus's listeners mm -hmm. because the scribes and Pharisees were considered the ultimate example of righteousness. To the Jewish listener... Jesus' statement meant that no one could enter heaven. To the average person trying to eke out a living, the Pharisees were the truly holy people. Jesus claimed that even they were not good enough. No amount of law-keeping was good enough because the problem is the human heart. Jesus went on to illustrate how bankrupt their understanding of the law was by making comparison after comparison. So that's going to lead into our next podcast. Mm -hmm which Jesus will explain the heart of the law, which the teachers of his day had ignored. Um, he's going to start the next six passages with the phrase, you have heard that it was said to our ancestor, but then he will add, but I say. He will then teach the people about inner motives and being pure in heart, not mm. simply obeying rules. He will shock the people when he teaches the following. And this is what we're going to look at next week, at least the first couple. Yeah. Murder begins in the heart. He's talking about hatred, right. hating people. Adultery begins in the heart. It's not right. the act itself. Right. It's all in your mind where it starts as sin. Immoral divorce practices. Mm -hmm. And then in future podcasts, which will um, continue the Sermon on the Mount, telling the truth, going the second mile and loving your enemies. Mm. So we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He's saying, hey, I'm going to fulfill it. And at the same time, he's telling them about the moral law, and he's going right at their heart. You know, why do you do the things you do? It should be loving God with all that you have and loving your neighbor as yourself. No one gets to the heart of the matter like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I love what he's going to transition to, because he's just going to get to the heart uh, of the word of God. So let's look at our employment and finish this up. Uh, Jesus, and this is point number one, mm -hmm. Jesus had confidence in the Bible when he's referring to the law, the Old Testament. 
Jesus said that all of the Old Testament was true, and he believed in it. If Jesus trusted God's word, so should we. Never doubt that the Bible is true. Exactly. There's such an attack on scripture. Questions I need to ask myself. Do I have complete confidence in the Bible, or do I doubt parts that modern society dislikes? So do we understand the integrity of Scripture? And this is where Satan hits it. You know, way back in Genesis 3, has God indeed said? We really have to put our total trust, reliance, dependence upon the eternality of the Word of God that is forever settled in heaven and just go, this is it. And when we do, I think we can really move forward greatly. Satan's temptations, if you are the Son of God. That's right. Once again. And that's why we have to understand the Bible as a whole. Yeah. It each has parts, it each has purpose, right? but as a unit, we saw how the law worked together with Jesus. We looked at, we think of the covenants and how it all just works together as a whole. It's not just a hodgepodge of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so thoughts, am I embarrassed when I'm at college or school or work and someone casts doubts on God's word? Mm. Do I have the same confidence in the Bible that Jesus had? Mm. So. First of all, Jesus had confidence. If he fulfilled it, he said he didn't say, I'm fulfilling it, or at least the parts that are true. <laughs> right. He's fulfilling all of it. So point two, or employment point two, the law and the prophets pointed to Jesus. The law guided mankind and mm-hmm. taught that men were sinful and needed salvation. Jesus then fulfilled the law and offered mankind salvation via faith in him. Because of Jesus, we are no longer under the law, but under grace. And uh, Jesus offers grace to everyone. I'm a provisionist. I believe that God has provided for all people to be saved. So it's offered to all. And the law and the prophets, their whole point was, okay, (laughs) to sum it up, we're leading you to Jesus, uh, and he'll take it from here. That's right. So why would we go back to the law? Questions I need to ask myself. Can I show from the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah who fulfilled the law? Um, We know that the Old Testament was written for our learning, Mm -hmm. and we have to be careful that we just don't say, well, that was for then, now is now, and just kind of throw it out. Could I talk to someone who doesn't believe in the New Testament and show them that Jesus was the Messiah? How well do I know my Old Testament? Because there's value Mm -hmm. in the Old Testament. Don't keep the law, but there's value in knowing it. I think it's a good thing to just memorize certain parts of the Old Testament in order to lead someone, even that was Jewish, to point them to the Jesus of the New Testament by walking them through uh, the key statements made, even in the Pentateuch. Mm. I think there's wisdom there. And then thoughts. How well do I know the Old Testament? Can Mm. I use it effectively to witness, or have I not spent enough time studying it? Exactly. Um, I wouldn't say go crazy with all your time in it, unless that's your specialty. Yeah. But uh, there's so much wisdom to be gleaned from the Old Testament. Absolutely. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> mm. We're no longer in the law, so let's just chuck it out. Yeah. So we, we'd lose a lot there. Right. And then finally, our third point, greatness belongs to obedient disciples. Jesus said that those who teach scripture and obey it will be great in the kingdom of God. Teaching scripture is not enough. It must also be applied. And I would even say this is referring to, in a deeper context, the mom and dads at home mm-hmm. who are telling their kids the scripture, but then not living it out. 
Yeah. I say this covers more than just a preacher or a teacher. Absolutely. I say this is everyone who says, this is what I believe, mm-hmm. like the Pharisees, and then inside they're full of corruptness. Mm-hmm. So we need to make sure that we are applying what we have learned. Question I need to ask myself, do I apply Jesus's teachings in my life or do I simply know cold facts about him? I would say, evaluate what ministry you're doing. Mm-hmm. I know people who know all the facts about the Bible, but they don't serve. Yeah. So that tells me that to them, faith is just trivia. Yeah. It's things to know. I want to see the people who are involved in ministry because of their relationship with Jesus. Of course, you do have those on the other hand who are all about serving mm-hmm. <laughs> for so people see their good works. But I want the person who knows God and then because they love him, they want to serve. Thoughts. Will I be great in Jesus's kingdom? Do I tell others about Jesus and his kingdom? Do I live like I belong to his kingdom? Mm -hmm. Can others tell that I belong to the kingdom of God? Uh, Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? You and I uh, are thankful for social media Mm -hmm. because we get the word of God out. But if you and I just did that, and we didn't love our neighbor, and if we didn't serve at the church, and if we didn't teach Bible studies and make disciples of all nations, then honestly, uh, you know, it's the smoke and mirrors world, and Jesus isn't interested in that. Yeah, and always say, okay, coming back to our main thought, are we loving God with everything? That's kind of the point of Sermon on the Mount, by loving my neighbor as myself. Mm-hmm. Second, are you holding to some form of the law? And if you are, cleanse yourself from that immediately. That's right. Um, I know when you taught on Galatians, mm. we saw that yeah. with uh, people just trying to go back to the law. Exactly. And 2,000 years later, same thing's happening. People want to go exactly. back to the law. I think we like to follow rules. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're That's rule percent. followers. Yeah. Because it's like, if I do this work, this work, and this work, I'm good with God. Right. Instead of saying, how am I really doing? Mm. That was podcast 22. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Fills the Law, from Matthew 5, 17 through 20. We're going to see you next time as Jesus teaches on hate, lust, and divorce. So it's going to be <laughs> hard-hitting. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we won't get taken down online for saying this stuff, but uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. So greatest sermon ever by Jesus. So Amen. We'll see you next time.